Bengals Nation, it is the third week of March. We hope you're doing well. David, what are we doing this morning? We are rolling up the third week of March. Always an ambitious endeavor in the world of crypto to roll up a full entire week's worth of news into one single podcast. But we do that nonetheless. First, we are starting with markets. What is the market saying? Then we are going into releases. What got released in the last week of crypto? Then we'll talk about what's been in the news cycle. And then we'll talk about interesting takes. Who had good opinions in the last week of crypto? We'll finish up with what David and Ryan are excited about. And of course, top things off with the meme of the week my favorite part about the weekly roll-up come for the news stay for the memes guys we do this every friday so you can enjoy this episode with your morning coffee this is the fastest way to get crypto the week of crypto downloaded into your brain david are you ready i'm ready right into markets all right man let's get to markets what is bitcoin telling us this week what's the price now and what was it earlier in the week Bitcoin hit a all-time high this week. It touched out at $61,800, something something pretty close to that. So congratulations, Bitcoin, another all-time high. Uh, took, a little, took a little tumble after that to uh, the low, low price of $55,000, but then has since popped right back up, uh, touched $60,000 this morning, uh, but is currently hanging right below it at $58,100. Uh, Bitcoin, all-time high the same week that uh, US dollar or US stimulus checks go out to most Americans. So uh, is that a coincidence? Hmm, Interesting maybe. correlation. Interesting. Uh, it seemed like only a year ago, Bitcoin was hanging at the $4,000 mark. In fact, it was just a year ago. We're going to talk about that later. I uh, can't believe how far we've come, but let's talk about the story behind ETH. Where are we hanging with ETH? Yeah, during Bitcoin's touch and breach above all-time high, Ether got to $1,930, not really having that same amount of strength that Bitcoin has. And then, of course, after it got up to that, that $1,900 mark, it seems like it was going to go for $2,000, but then it took a tumble back down to the low 1700s and but then has since resurged back to where we are today at $1,820. Um, kind, of, kind of lagging behind. Ether's taking its time, not, not going too fast. Yeah. Definitely. We're going to talk about ETH versus uh, DeFi tokens as well, because I think that's an important metric we, we talk about so often. I can't wait to celebrate ETH2K yet again. Mm -hmm. David, I think the, the price for us to get back to all-time highs, to do what Bitcoin did last week, is somewhere in the you know, two, uh, 2030 range or so. Mm -hmm. If we, if we breach 2030, then, then ether will be hitting its all time high. Uh, I don't know. It, any one of these weeks could be happening. Hopefully we get ETH 2K sometime soon. I'm always having a fun time watching ETH bounce through the 1900s because then it's like a, a walk through <laughs> history. It's like, oh, the 1940s, this was World War II. Oh, 1950s, the Roswell incident. Is that really what goes on in your mind? Yeah, that's, that's like, I checked the price. I'm like, oh, it's it's my mom's birth year. Like, oh, cool. That's awesome, man. All right, total locked in DeFi. Uh, we are hanging close to all-time highs as well. Everything about this year, I feel like almost every roll-up, it's either we're hitting all-time highs or we're close to all-time highs. Uh, we are $44 billion locked in DeFi. That number has flattened over the last month or so, but is definitely up in a huge way on the year. And if we scroll out to all, you get yeah. Yeah. You, you get a hockey stick that mm -hmm. is uh, just like a, a, a straight up line, almost mm -hmm. a vertical line of the growth of dollars and value locked in DeFi, I should, should say. So what's this telling us, David? 
Yeah, again, it's always telling us that the assets deposited into DeFi are generally going up in price. There's more DeFi apps to deposit assets into, and there are more total assets being deposited into those DeFi apps. Um, next up, $100 billion locked in DeFi. There you go. That'll be something to celebrate. DPI itself, which again is the top 10 DeFi tokens in the DeFi Pulse Index, is an indice we like. Uh, that's hanging out of around 440 at the time of recording. That's kind of flat on the week. Anything here we should be looking at? Yeah, flat on the week. But again, I don't even personally look at DPI versus the dollar. I always look at DPI versus ETH. Um, yeah, look, look at that. Even flat on the one month time horizon started started basically uh, uh, the 19th of February at 1440, and which is exactly where we are today. So DPI flat for a whole month. All right, David, let's jump over to what you were just talking about, which is DPI versus ETH on the ratio. What's the ratio telling us this week? Yeah, DPI 0.24 DPI per ETH. Uh, on that lower band of that channel that I keep talking about, kind of touching the bottom. Um, but yeah, still still over 2021, DPI versus ETH is still pretty strong. So DeFi season, yes, still going DeFi season. Uh, slowly but surely, it's it's a slow it's a slow motion DeFi DeFi, uh, DeFi season. That's what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's definitely NFT season. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, pretty soon we'll get some metrics up here around the price of the NFTs and and how that's tracking the market. If uh, last summer was DeFi summer, this is sort of, I I mean, it's NFT summer. Only it's happening in winter, but let's talk about assets in general. Assetdash.com provides a really interesting view of the world's biggest assets. So at number one, the world's biggest asset, just FYI, is Apple. It's breached over $2 trillion in terms of, of market cap. But look at this guy. Look who's number six. Bitcoin. Bitcoin number Bitcoin. six. Bitcoin number six, hovering between Google and Facebook. And if we scroll down, we see uh, semiconductor companies, Berkshire Hathaway. We see fintech companies like Visa, Walmart. Walmart and we get all the way down. Let's see. Oh, there he is. Hanging out at number four, 44 is Ethereum, Ether at a price of $209 billion. That's the market cap, the 44th largest asset in the world right now. And we'll, we'll pop up this chart from time to time because I think it shows a really interesting view of, of crypto and mm -hmm. particularly its flagship assets versus the rest of the market here. Anything else we should talk about, David? Dude, Adobe at number 41 is worth more than <laughs> Ethereum. That is insane. Adobe, a software com company for like digital arts, like digital arts are important, but like, come on, Adobe versus Ethereum. Uh, looking forward well, to watching Ether march up this, uh, this asset-.com list of assets. We've got PayPal hanging out at number 26, so also yeah. above Ethereum. We've got Bank of America at number 21. MasterCard is up there. I mentioned uh, Visa earlier. There's a number of banks that are hanging above the world's open financial system. So we'll see how long that one lasts. By but one. one by yep. one. One ETH nom, is nom, coming nom, for nom, you guys. <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk about this. This is a really interesting graph from Anthony uh, Sassano. He dug this up. We've shown this before, but mm -hmm. this is the percent of Ether that is locked in exchanges. So actually in um, in green, what you're seeing is the percent of ETH balance on exchanges. So these are what we would call crypto banks. Mm -hmm. These are centralized exchanges, Coinbase, Gemini, um, Binance. We, we, we love these 
uh, as a bridge, but we don't necessarily think this is the place to park your self-sovereign money. We'd rather you go bankless. Mm -hmm. And the good news here, David, is that less ETH, a lot less ETH, is stored in those banks. That means more people are going bankless. And what this means to me, David, is this is really this ratio, this percentage of ETH that's not inside of, of custody crypto banks. This is our best hope for a bankless world. So this number going down, this is going down from about a year ago from 20% to 13%. It's just straight awesome news. It gives me a lot of hope and a lot of optimism that even in the bear market, people are continuing to go in the direction of, of becoming more bankless, becoming more self-sovereign with their funds. What's your take here? Yeah, th there's a number of different stories being told on this graph. Uh, the the first story that comes to my mind, well, is this is this is literally a bullish indicator because when there's less ether on exchanges, ether price is more sensitive to to price movements, usually to the upside. Usually when ether is flowing out of exchanges, it's because people are buying that ether and then cold storaging them. And so when ether price is removed from exchanges, any further buy pressure has outsized influences on the price of ether, right? So people look at uh, supply of assets on secondary exchanges to get a gauge for whether people are selling or buying. And if flow, if there's ether flowing out of secondary exchanges, it's because people are buying it. The other uh, story being told is this purple graph or purple line, which is the uh, supply of ether in smart contracts, which which is going up seemingly inverse to the relationship between ether outflowing from exchanges. Uh, ether inside of smart contracts for the over the last years uh, went from 12% to 21%. Uh, and so, you know, money robots are gobbling up ETH and, it, and crypto banks and crypto exchanges are having ETH outflows. This is what we want to see if we want to see a DeFi bankless version of self-sovereign money and finance. Money robots eating the banks. That is a good sign. Absolutely. Um, ETH, here's another view of ETH supply held on exchanges. Again, going down. This is uh, this is showing the same thing in a different way. But that is all good news, David. Uh, speaking of good news, a year ago at this time, as of March uh, 13th, we had an event in crypto and in the wider markets known as Black Thursday. Mm -hmm. Do you remember Black Thursday, David? I remember Black Thursday, Ryan. <laughs> that was very oh, work. What work do you remember about it? Yeah, yeah. I, re I remember we recorded Bankless episode number two, uh, and I was very <laughs> for as good as that episode was, which was a fantastic episode, by the way. I was extremely distracted by like this plummeting ETH price, uh, and then I went into work uh, when back when I worked at Realty. You know, we no one was working; it was just only looking at just like the macro markets taking a huge huge move to the downside same thing with crypto it was just a very distracting day and, and to me that was the day that like covid became real because when the markets drop by like 20 percent in a day like that makes things feel very real um and that's that's when we discussed as a company that we were actually going to start working from home and it was actually kind of the market taking a big move to the downside that was actually the thing that triggered that conversation which was interesting to think about Wow, that very much felt like a black swan event just in general in macro because equity markets took a dive. It was a scary week from that perspective, but crypto markets completely tanked. And this was on a, on the back of kind of a brutal uh, two-year bear market where it seemed like early in 2020, we were recovering. There were some People were bullish. Yeah, there were signs of life in crypto. We we started, mm -hmm. we had the DeFi pulse index. We started seeing DeFi really take off and then bam, 
Yeah. Uh, price drops on Bitcoin go mm. going down to like the did it get to the three thousand level? I mean, it was I don't low think, four thousand for sure. I think it bottomed sure. at four thousand two hundred or four thousand five hundred, something like that. That's low. that sounds right. So like, mm. uh, Bitcoin had no no volume. This was actually the low point for Ether. It ninety five percent off its oh all time highs, dude. Ninety five percent, and it very it very much for for many people felt like like where f this thing is over. Right. right. Like it's <laughs> it's it's gone. Um. But a year later, here we are. Price of Bitcoin, as you said, hit 61K. Price mm -hmm. of Ether, as of recording, in the 1800 mark, over $2,000. If you had the, uh, if you had the cash right. and the, the wherewithal guts. and the guts to yeah. bet on this kind of low, uh, you, you, I mean, you're doing like a 10x, easy, 20, 20x you're, you're almost. Pocketing on a 20x if you don't. A 20x. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, that's what it's crazy. These markets can turn around so quickly. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a good lesson for for all of us. <laughs> a lesson on holding. A mm -hmm. lesson on buying the dips. Yeah. Uh, and uh, wow, things have really changed in the last year. Yeah. Ever since the the bottom in March. Ether and crypto and, and Bitcoin have just been, it was up and to the right for all of 2020. And you're totally right. Like sentiment in early 2020 was like turning optimistic and bullish. And then we got like punched in the face by COVID. But once that passed, once that punch like was received and taken, it was again, bullishness from then on out, right? It was up and to the right, except for that one just massive blow to the gut. I didn't know it would happen so quickly, David. I, th I thought it was very possible that we could be another, uh, another couple year. of years. Right. Yeah, at least another year into the, the bear market, but things things move fast in crypto as always. Um, speaking of things moving fast, this is Spencer News Noon talking about the decentralized exchange space, and I think this this graph. I love that they always use in these these graphs. Uniswap is pink, you know, kind of like Naturally. unicorn, I guess, color pink. This is seven-day volume for decentralized exchanges and just shows how dominant Uniswap is. 57% of the volume Uniswap is capturing. I remember when no one believed that AMMs, mm -hmm. uh, that's automated market makers, kind of money robots that are uh, super simple and, and provide permissionless trading pairs. I remember when no one believed they could be a thing on Ethereum at all. And now here they are just completely trouncing order book exchanges and Uniswap, the the, the simplest of them all, mm -hmm. uh, beating all of the others. What do you think this tells us? Yeah, the Uniswap dominance is absolutely insane. But then also just the simple AMM, uh, sim simple AMMs versus complex AMMs dominance is also insane. So if we want to uh, look at that category, that is both Uniswap plus uh, SushiSwap. Uh, which are just basic AMMs, one-to-one -one AMMs. Um, and that is, what is that? That's like 70% of all volume on DEXs on Ethereum is just basic AMMs in SushiSwap and Uniswap. Um, and uh, everything else is long tail. And so it's bullish on simplicity. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we'll, we'll see if that continues to persist, but definitely simplicity has won. This is why I've thought of Uniswap almost as like, if this is the internet of value, Uniswap is almost like the Google because, you know, just 
the same way, you know, if 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 assets are like web pages in 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 the internet, uh, Google is the the crawler of in the in the catalog and the index of all of these web pages. Uniswap is like the index of every ERC twenty token that can be found, and it provides something different, not the ability to to go find the website, but the ability to trade the asset. Right. This is kind of the internet of money. That's why I think uh, Google is an interesting comparison to to Uniswap, and it's definitely maximally simple. If a token has liquidity, you can probably find it on Uniswap. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, well, let's talk about um, DPI outperformance relative to other indices. I, I guess what we're seeing here in, in the Uniswap graph and this graph is almost like a, a network effect, kind of a power law dominance. What are we looking at here, David? Yeah, so we're looking at the asset, the total value of all assets under management inside of DPI. And there are many different attempts to generate indices that are DPI, DPI, uh, DeFi focused, um, but it really seems to be that DPI has won out as the indice that is tracking DeFi. There's other indices in this list as well that are uh, tracking other things, um, but mainly the competition, at least so far, the story has been told that the, the competition to create a DeFi uh, index natively on DeFi infrastructure has been won by DPI. Absolutely, it is uh, about 10x above all the others so far. All right, and, David. And that trending is, further. And trending further. All right, David, we're gonna get to releases in a minute, but first, Bankless listeners, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version two, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have deposited collateral. Here you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens and ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock that interest rate in permanently. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. 
Ave does all of this for you all in one seamless transaction. So you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Ave at Ave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. All right, Bankless listeners, we are back. David, let's get to releases. Let's talk about our first release. This is something that is vitally important, something I'm super excited about. I know you're excited about. It's called ZK Money. What are we looking at here? Yeah, ZK Money, otherwise known as Zero Knowledge Money. This is privacy on Ethereum as an application. And so think of a very similar intent as Zcash. Uh, Zcash is zero knowledge cash, but that's a, its own blockchain with its own asset. This is ZK Money, which is an application on Ethereum, which can provide ho- the ide- uh, ideally very comparable levels of privacy as what Zcash can offer, but as an app on Ethereum. So starting with Ether and wrapped Ether, but then also in the future, ERC20 tokens as well. Uh, and so using ZK Money, which is a roll-up, you can deposit your Ether into the ZK Money roll-up. And then that is its own internal payments and uh, private payments ecosystem, right? And so uh, similar to like registering an account on Coinbase or registering your ENS address, you need to register an account inside of the ZK Money roll-up. And then like I registered davidhoffman.eth or no, just David Hoffman on the ZK roll-up. And then so you can send me money in the ZK roll-up to David Hoffman, but you can send me money in a shielded way where I can't go look at where that money came from. And I can do that for other people as well. You know, remember when we were talking about loop ring being like sort of a like a, a long pier and then you get to this whole this mm-hmm. whole universe? It's just like that. That's what that's what this roll up is. Only you, you travel across this pier to this whole kind of carnival and, and mm-hmm. this great experience and everything there is private on the other side. And of course, this is a roll up, so it's not a side side chain. It is a layer two solution, which means it is secured by Ethereum. David, when you moved from your ETH from Ethereum mainnet to to this ZK money roll up, how much did that cost? I'm just curious. Yeah, I put one ETH in and that cost me 0.01 ETH. So 1% of an ETH. And then inside of that roll up, what are gas fees like? I, they, they're probably like close to nothing, right? Right. I haven't actually transacted because I don't have any friends in there that need me to send them private money. <laughs> but if somebody needs me to send them private money, we can try this out. Um, but uh, the the pitch is that both zero knowledge uh, technology is both privacy technology and also compression technology. And so in theory, you actually kind of get two birds with one stone because you get private money and you get cheap money. And so uh, again, I don't have the numbers at hand, but the promise of, Z- of ZK rollups is both privacy and spe- uh, cheap transactions. And so I don't I don't know that what those fees are, but they they are supposed to be cheap. I remember last uh, bull cycle, there was much ado about privacy-related blockchains, so Monero and Zcash. Um, the other thesis around that is that all of these uh, privacy solutions wouldn't have their own blockchains, but they'd just be apps. And this mm-hmm. is almost the manifestation of privacy as an app on top of and secured by Ether rather than being its own chain. We'll see how that plays out, but um, looks promising there. David, let's talk about this next one. Super fluid. This is this is a really cool concept, I think. This is the idea of streaming money. So rather than giving you a bucket of money, a one-time payment, being able to stream money, this is something that Andreas Antonopoulos, I remember him talking about this as an early use case of, of Bitcoin. Of course, Bitcoin went down a different path and became more of a store of value digital gold, but it's always been part of the crypto cypherpunk uh, vision, I think, from its early days. What are we looking at here with Superfluid? What is this? 
Yeah, we are seeing the linkage between payments and time. And so if uh, we, and that of course is what streaming payments means. And so the way that this system works is that you can make a transaction on Ethereum that has certain logic in it that allows people to receive money based on how many blocks after that initial transaction has been made. And so I can make a transaction that says every block Ryan is allowed to uh, receive 0.001 ETH every single block and I can be streaming him that amount. And the cool thing is, is it only takes one transaction in one block to establish that stream. And then that stream just perpetuates until one of us cuts that stream off. And the other cool thing about Superfluid is that once a link between two people are established, uh, a, one of those two people can go and make a link, a, a streaming link between a third person and a fourth person. And all of a sudden this turns into a, a building of a mesh network of streamable money. And so there's the possibility of all of these monies being to like flowing between wallets based on this like kind of streaming standard, this streaming logic. And so the, the options here are, are endless. And not only are we talking about money, but we're talking about literally any kind of token on Ethereum. So anything that can be tokenized into value can be also streamed. So that's pretty cool. It's also a different, uh, a new money Lego unlock, I think. So mm -hmm. we, we don't often think about streams of money, but what are the new use cases that they lock up? Of course, something you, let's say your salary is $1,000 a month or you're getting paid as a contractor $1,000 a month. Well, rather than receiving one lump sum payment, maybe you get a certain amount of dollars in allocation of that a day. That's, that's somewhat interesting, but what about the subscription that you pay to Netflix? Right. Maybe streaming that rather than a one-time payment, or we get into these micro transactions where you're maybe watching a, a video, a YouTube video or something. And as you're watching it, it's charging you some sort of stream of fractions of a, of a penny to watch that. This is a whole new unlock that's actually not possible in traditional finance. There were some attempts to do this with a project called Stablier on Ethereum mainnet. Um, what's interesting about Superfluid too, is they've actually chosen to deploy first on not sort of layer two sidechain world. So XDAI and also Matic network. So uh, transactions are cheap to get this started. It's kind of fun to play around with. Yeah, and this was also kind of gas optimized to begin with where that streaming money, that, that stream updates every single block, but it only makes one transaction on the blockchain. So the state is actually updated, but because it's baked into block time, the state is automatically updated by every single issuance of a block. And so you have kind of, it's this kind of this cool little trick to make sure that we are updating the state as much as we want with these streaming payments, but without actually having to make any single transaction on Ethereum because it's baked into the logic of what block height are we at. So that's kind of cool. Dude, I always get blown away by how much of the cypherpunk vision we're actually achieving, right? So like mm -hmm. stable coins, I remember 2013, that seemed like it was never going to happen. Now we have stable right. coins. Now we can stream microtransaction stable coins, super cool stuff. Mm -hmm. David, let's just do a drive-by uh, on this, but the Argent wallet's one of our favorite smart contract wallets for beginners. The problem with it though is gas fees are high. Mm -hmm. The solution though is coming. They're actually rolling a layer two inside of the Argent wallet. Anything more to say on that? Yeah, uh, check out their blog post. It's pretty informative of if you want to go and dive deeper into how Argent is using the L2, uh, but they are using a ZK Sync. Uh, if you guys were, if that was the answer you're looking for, they're using ZK Sync to, uh, to scale out the Argent wallet. So congrats to the Argent team. Very cool. All right, Zeppelin. So these are one of the defenders of Ethereum DeFi money robots. They audit smart contracts and they build security tooling. They've just built something called Defender Sentinels. What is this from Open Zeppelin? 
Yeah, you guys might be familiar with the term watchtowers, at least if, when it uh, comes to Bitcoin's lightning network. Some systems, some crypto economic systems need to make a need to have people observing them for them to be game theoretically sound. If somebody is not observing uh, the the activity, then the, an attacker might get away with a an attack undetected. And all that is required is somebody to detect it and report it. So it's actually a very simple service. And that is what Open Zeppelin is doing is, uh, and this is especially relevant for um, things like optimistic rollups withdrawal periods where there's this one week withdrawal period where people, if there is something that went against the rule, someone needs to report it. And if somebody doesn't report it by the end of that week, then that spells trouble. Um, and uh, Plasma also has this uh, design constraint as well, but it looks like uh, Open Zeppelin, true to the brand of making sure DeFi is secure, is now uh, like observing DeFi and what needs to be observed to ensure that DeFi is safe. So thank you, Open Zeppelin. Security tools are always getting better. Speaking of tools getting better, the Gnosis multi-sig wallet, which is the most used multi-sig wallet, it's got billions mm -hmm. worth of ETH and ERC-20s uh, inside of it. Um, it is integrating a suite that allows people to start managing DAOs directly from their Gnosis multi-sig wallet. So this is kind of an unlock, I think, for treasury management. If you have funds inside of Gnosis multi-sig, which means you're, you're generally sharing it as part of a team, you can now have direct access to DAO tools. So what are we, what are we talking about here? They, they're calling this safe snap. What is safe snap, David? SafeSnap is one part governance tooling to help uh, the governors of protocols make decisions, but it's also one part uh, DAO treasury management, and it's kind of the link between the two. And so it, it aggregates off-chain signatures by people that are authorized to be governors of the DAO. And then that uh, off-chain uh, signature aggregation can go into an on-chain transaction that has something to do with the treasury behind a DAO, at least one that's using the Gnosis safe, which again is actually perhaps the the strongest smart contract on Ethereum ever as, as value by time value locked. And so we think it's going to be a, a very uh, concrete tool for DAOs to you know securely store their funds, but then now it's also an extension of DAO governance and DAO decision making, which is pretty cool. Look, dude, twenty billion mm -hmm. in, in Gnosis safe. That's, that's for a, a crazy long time, amount of money. not and a short amount of time too. So twenty billion times the amount of time is in there. It's it's pretty crazy. And I don't think we're going to talk a bit about treasuries in a little bit, but like DAO treasuries are getting absolutely massive right. and DAO governance is getting much more sophisticated and it's getting much better. This is a, a image of snapshot, which is kind of a, a governance tool across uh, all these platforms, all, all a whole bunch of DAOs. It aggregates DAOs inside of kind of one user it's interface, a, a 574. Yep. DAO governance explorer. Uh, 574 different DAOs here. Wow. Um, you know, <laughs> that's crazy. Look How at many these billions things. of dollars? Look, this is uh, this is decentralized coordination. Right. Super cool stuff, man. These are Super these are cool internet stuff. internet organizations. That's what they internet are. Native internet native organizations, institutions, if you will, digital institutions with on-chain yeah. governance. Wow, interesting. It, with 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 a foot in the legacy world as well. And mm -hmm. speaking of which, this is Tyler Winklevoss. Uh, from Gemini. With the laser just, eyes on. Nice job, Tyler. Laser. <laughs> he put out a tweet. Uh, I, I've just proposed a proposal 
post a proposal rather for GUSD, that's Gemini dollar. So it's similar to USDC, not quite as popular, but it is a stable coin that is crypto bank backed. Um, just put that in as a collateral option on Ave. You know, what's kind of cool is I like that, that Tyler and Cameron are like digging deep on this mm -hmm. DeFi space. Like here he is, uh, he you know, like owns an exchange, is a billionaire, and he's posting on Ave governance forums, posting a proposal on Ave governance forums. It's just mm -hmm. in a transparent way. It's super cool to see how all of this, this works. What's your take here, David? Yeah, so it's pretty cool because we always want more assets inside of Aave. That's always a good thing. And naturally, I'm sure the Winklevoss twins with their interest in expanding on the, the utility of GUSD also wants that to happen. But I think what really, if we want to really read between the lines, bankless listeners should ask themselves, what happens when GUSD is, turns into a yield-bearing instrument inside of Aave? And what can, that, what can be done on the Gemini website, the Gemini front end to its users because the GUSD stablecoin is now interest-bearing because of Aave? How are those two things going to be linked? Is it something like the DeFi mullet with fintech in the front and DeFi in the back? Question mark? <laughs> It's always, it's always the DeFi mullet, David. Always. That's always the answer. You know what's cool to see too is like um, crypto banks can be like DeFi friendly too. So I sort of, I see, I see crypto banks like Binance trying to like consume DeFi, not necessarily collaborate it, collaborate with it, but more consume it. So Binance launching the, the Binance chain, we're going to give all of our liquidity to that. Binance deprioritizing right. ETH and trading its BNB pair, right? So like that's one tack a crypto bank can take. Let's just not very eat it all. <laughs> Maybe not, right? But definitely very profitable, at least right. in, the, in the short run. But there are other crypto banks that are taking a different tack and they're collaborating more with, with DeFi protocols. And I mean, we definitely have a preference with, with, which, ones, uh, with which ones we like. But I think we're going to see both of these strategies play out on the crypto banking side. It's good to see some crypto banks collaborate with DeFi more than try to build against them. And that's a, we have a Twitter conversation with Hester Pearson, uh, who is the SEC commissioner. And I think that conversation is going to be relatively similar to, to what we're talking about here, where there's different ways to have alignment with DeFi protocols. Uh, and it seems to be that Gemini is choosing to align with DeFi protocols rather than being in opposition towards or trying to, like you say, consume. And so I think that's the appropriate stance that large scale institutions should have. Do you know Hester Pierce? SEC commissioner, as you said, she was familiar with the DeFi mullet. She, she actually quoted it in a speech, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Bankless listener. Hey, Hester, <laughs> if you're if you're listening, <laughs> that's going to be an exciting episode. Looking forward to that one. Um, David, let's talk about another DeFi index product. This is for, from uh, Index Co-op. This is called the FLI. This looks like a, a leverage sort of token play. What are we looking at here? Yeah, so it seems to be the FLI Flexible Leverage Index is a kind of a token standard or a standard produced by the index co-op to produce leverage tokens. And so naturally, the most obvious leverage token that they're going to produce first is 2x ETH. And so it's a single token that represents a 2x long position on Ether. And so if Ether doubles, you should get more than double 
of what you got. And if also if ether gets cut in half, you should get liquidated. That's probably how that's going to work. But the cool thing is, is that it's embodied into one single token. So one single token represents 2x exposure to ETH price movements. So, so that's pretty cool. The other cool thing about this is this is generalizable. And so what do we think will come next? Perhaps a 2x BTC token, perhaps a 2x uni token, perhaps a 2x Aave token, you know, long or short or whatever. Uh, I think this is going to be one of the next big things to come out of uh, the index co-op. I know there's going to be massive a demand for this product because uh, folks in crypto are also degenerates, David. Ape but season. like, what are you doing when you need 2x on volatile assets like <laughs> ETH and DeFi tokens? Like, is there not, are you not getting enough adrenaline for this space? You want to take more risk and more Some reward? people, Ryan, are just uh, got, have gotten used to the volatility. And so we need more <laughs> volatility or else it's just the same, you know? Always All more right, volatility. I get it. I know there's there's going to be demand for sure. All right, um, let's talk about Zero X Protocol is going live uh, multi-chain. They're going live to the Binance smart contract chain. This has been a theme we've talked about a lot mm -hmm. where many of these DeFi protocols are going cross-chain, whether that's a side chain, something like Binance, or whether that's layer two, something like an optimistic roll-up. Um, I think Xerox protocol is basically, if you see this image here, you kind of see what mm -hmm. their strategy is. We'll just deploy our protocol everywhere. on all of the chains everywhere. This is mm -hmm. kind of the, the shotgun approach, which we've seen before. Uh, any takes here? Yeah, and so this this actually actually makes a lot of sense for what the Zero X product is because Zero X isn't actually hosted anywhere, and I think this is correct, but I might I might need to be double checked on this. But Zero X is just a protocol for making bids and asks on a secondary market, but those they're bids an aggregator. And they're an aggregator, and importantly, it's just a it's a standard for passing messages between each other. And so, like you know, I will make a uh, an order on the zero X protocol on some Ethereum system that says I'll be I'll take this token for this price, and then zero X standardizes that and broadcasts that to all the other order book managers. But those people don't have to be on Ethereum. So zero X is actually technically very blockchain agnostic, and this is just also a smart business decision for those that are trying to maximize you know return or maximize value to their token right so anytime zero x can facilitate trades capture some fees and it would the other thing that this does is this allows the free market to express itself and so i'm not going to put on my eth maxi hat and be like oh well you know they're just doing it for the <laughs> you know just for to be the cross train like no this gives the opportunity yeah. for the market to say to zero x hey you know Maybe there's a lot of volume on Polkadot, but not very much on Solana. Like that can like this will allow Zero X to discover that. Or maybe there's a lot on Solana, but not very much on Optimism. Like this is how Zero X discovers what the market wants, and so this is a good thing. It's just yeah, going it's to discover that it wants to be on Ethereum. That's just what it's going to discover <laughs> in the long term. There it is. <laughs> there's David Hoffman. He's come back. <laughs> Welcome back, David. Yeah, you know, um, look, uh, Zero X is an aggregator. Like mm -hmm. fr fragmented liquidity is good for them, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, they're going to try to be everywhere. There's some sorts of liquidity. We saw one inch do the same thing. One inch is a, a DeFi uh, protocol aggregator as well. Of course, they made a big show of going to, to Binance right. Smart Chain, but they got to Binance Smart Chain in a hurry. So not surprising at all, as mm -hmm. you say. David, we got to talk about something with mm -hmm. NFTs and releases because NFTs are always releasing something new. But this is a kind of a cool project, Ether.Cards. It's been a long time in the making. What are we looking at? Are these just kind of NFT art cards? What's the what's the coolness here? I mean, like I like the design, but this card is uh, 55 ETH here. I'm not sure that I'd spend my ETH on it, but what are we looking at? 
Yeah, I actually don't know, but everyone else is talking about this. So that's why we're talking about it. These designs are super sick. Uh, and so that's pretty cool. And so yeah. uh, it's, I, I wish I knew more about it, but we're, we're putting it into the roll-up because everyone else is talking about this. Uh, and right. so there's some there's some deep Ethereum history going on here. So um, uh, Texture, aka Anthony, he's got a feature here. Uh, there's just some like... I don't know how these designs came to be, but something's going on here. I don't know what, but the designs are dope. And so that's what's going on. It looks awesome. And, uh, you know, with NFTs, there's no rhyme or reason to which ones blow up or not. It's right. just kind of a pure meme at this point. So this seems to be catching on. Pretty cool mm -hmm. stuff. All right, David, um, let's get to news. What is going on in the news? We got to start with a macro. Um, you mentioned the stimulus checks early Stimmies. on. The stimmies are here. What happened with the stimmies? Um, the Biden administration, and of course, Democrats in control of Congress approved a 1.9 trillion bill. You know what's crazy is um, a lot of this, of course, is uh, th this is this is different than some of the quantitative easing type monetary policy decisions. Mm -hmm. This is what Ray Dalio calls um, uh, monetary policy three MP3, which is like fiscal decisions. Those are con congressional decisions uh, actually push out money to the people. They mm -hmm. control the money printer. And that's what's going on. It's basically, uh, this is uh, helicopter money directly to the people. So people are getting $1,400 checks. And I know you said this before, is last time we've seen this. Of course, this isn't the first time we've seen this in the, in the COVID era. Um, but the last time we saw this, we saw a big inflow into crypto, into right. Coinbase specifically. And this is a headline here from MarketWatch. Americans are ready to pour 40 billion into Bitcoin and the stock market as stimulus checks arrive survey. So they're just asking people like, what, what are you going to do, do with, with your, your money? Stimmy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, what else? Am I? Like, so I'm going to ape into Bitcoin. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> let's just say there are a lot of people who need these stimulus checks. So we don't want to to discount all of the people yes. that are using this to actually like pay uh, pay for things that they need in their lives. And um, do what they were supposed to be doing, which is boost the economy. Yes, totally. Right. But there are also a lot of people that are getting these checks that, that don't. And what are they going to plug them into? I got, the check. Into... I got okay, the check. What are you doing? Well, just I, tell us. What are you I... doing? perhaps might be aping into ether <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> there's perhaps david again <laughs> <laughs> well so like uh, i mean what about what about friend groups man like so um what are your, what are your friends doing do you have any sort of informal right. i guess surveys yeah no in, all, in all seriousness uh i'm i'm trying to be a good citizen by consuming more uh restaurant food that is trying to innovate and serve takeout in a way that they weren't really supposed to and so that's what i'm trying to do with my stimulus checks is going out and trying to uh, patronize businesses that are having a tough time generating income but are trying hard to do that and so there's a lot of restaurants in my local neighborhood that have figured out how to make takeout work that they that weren't really a previously a takeout restaurant and so that, i guess that's what i'm doing with my stimmy checks is i'm eating restaurant takeout food that's kind of more price highly priced than what i typically would pay for well, you know what's crazy here too is David. I'm I'm sure there are a lot of Americans that are doing that. There are also a lot of Americans, 40, 40 billion worth or so, that are just going to plug it into assets because they have right. nothing else to to do with right. it. Um, and this is like this is part one of two that's coming from the Biden administration. This is kind of the uh, the the rescue phase, mm -hmm. but there could be another three trillion dollar bill that comes down the pipeline, being sort of a yeah, sort of a recovery part, right. right? So this isn't necessarily the end of of the money printing either. There's like a tsunami 
of treasury issuance that we might see here in the near future. But you know, it's a disturbing thing is this graph, dude. Right. So this is um, U.S. household net worth. We are at we are at record levels of U.S. Ho- household net worth. And that sounds so weird because we've just gone through an economic downturn, like a year in COVID. So how could this be? We're at now to $130 trillion in U.S. household net worth. Um, it's not being distributed. It's not right. evenly distributed across the people. Uh, but Americans are on average richer than they ever have been, which is crazy. But what would happen if instead of using dollars to gauge the value of net worth, we use something a little bit more stable and perhaps less political, which would be gold as a good metric? And I don't think that the net worth, the average net worth of, of houses in, ter- in gold terms would actually be all that crazy. I think what it, I could make an argument that what we're actually seeing here is the devaluation of the dollar. Yeah, and the only way to keep pace with the uh value of the dollar and, and asked. So again, we don't have necessarily CPI inflation that is hard, but we do have asset price inflation. The only way to avoid that was to buy stuff. You had to buy assets. You had to buy stocks. You had to buy uh, crypto. You had to buy you know uh, real estate. And that's how you've kept price with inflation. But what it does, David, is it creates this massive inequality that I think um, the world's going to have to reckon with. It's one of the major problems that we're facing here now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and this is why I'm always so on the fence about UBI because UBI is great because it puts more hands into more people. And so it's using the money printer to get more money into more people's hands when previously it was just strictly a very tight contillion effect where only the rich would get access to the upside of the money printer. Now we're giving access of the upside of the money printer to as many people as possible, $1,400 for all adults. But again, like the U.S. dollar is a global reserve currency, and and the the U.S. adults are only a very small fraction of the global um, global population that uses the value in the dollar to transact. So it's still not being all that dispersed. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Ray Dalio would say this is just the the last part of a late stage debt cycle happening mm-hmm. where and where where citizens are are getting the funds directly uh, through fiscal stimulus. David, let's let's move over to crypto stuff. Bitcoin mm-hmm. first. Morgan Stanley is now the first big US bank to offer its clients, particularly wealthy clients, access to Bitcoin funds. This is another bank capitulating on crypto and jumping aboard the crypto bus. I think this is actually kind of the the first big major bank to give direct uh, on ramps to Bitcoin, and so this the important thing is that Morgan Stanley is bi- uh, building out three funds that are all uh, exposure to Bitcoin, and importantly. It, uh, customers of Morgan Stanley, when they send money into this fund, what happens is that Morgan Stanley goes and buys Bitcoin on spot with it, right? This isn't this isn't um, cash settled futures. This is this is direct Bitcoin exposure, and so any interest can get funneled through Morgan Stanley and ends up being buy pressure for Bitcoin. Um, and so uh, that's that's pretty cool. That's very unique. And the the thought, the bullish thesis behind this is that this is going to make many other banks, Goldman Sachs, uh, you know, all these all the other banks that I can't rattle off right now, they're probably all thinking is like, well, Morgan Stanley's doing it. And now we got to do it because they did it too. Uh, and so if we want to be able to offer very similar services to our customers, we're also going to need to generate very uh, quick, strong pipelines between our customers' money and Bitcoin. 
You know, it's crazy here is this, this quote, uh, Morgan Stanley considers it suitable only for people with aggressive risk tolerance who have at least 2 million in assets held by the firm. It's too volatile otherwise is, is what they're saying. Yeah, there's some <laughs> Unless... gatekeeping going on, but if, if that's what they needed to do to get compliance happy with this, to get this out the door, fine, whatever. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Michael Saylor bought some more Bitcoin. Another wow. week goes by. Shocked. Another Michael Saylor buy. He the added the, 262 the, Bitcoin this time, 15 million. The the weekly dollar cost average from Michael Michael Saylor. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll report on that every time. Um, <laughs> this is cool, though. This is breaking. Is this company called Me Too? This is a, a Hong Kong listed company. I'm going to say Me Too, Me Too Incorporated. They purchased mm -hmm. another 16,000 ETH and another 386 Bitcoin. That's almost 30 million ETH and just over 20 million Bitcoin. Uh, so more publicly traded companies adding crypto to their balance sheet. What's interesting about this is this company decided to buy more ETH than Bitcoin, 57%. Right. Uh, in Ether as part of this this $50 million purchase and like 40, 43% in Bitcoin. What's your yeah, take and, here? And this is also the second time they've done this. They did this last week too. And so they're also just like MicroStrategy where Dollar they fill, filled their bag and then they filled their bag again. And like now this begs the question, are they going to fill their bag the third time, right? And Anthony Cezano, I think I may, I think we're just repeating this exact same take and I'm going to do it again on this week. And Anthony Cezano had a really good take where, you know, there's one thing to have all the American S&P 500 companies FOMO into Bitcoin because of MicroStrategy. But what about the rest of the world? What about all the other companies who are trying to protect their treasuries? All the ones, all the companies in Japan. Yeah, China, you know, Korea, like all, all the African companies, all companies, all companies everywhere are going to feel this FOMO to get into crypto assets to protect their treasuries. And what this company Me Too is doing is, again, they, they filled up their bag. Interestingly, like you said, more Ether than Bitcoin. And then they did it again. Uh, and so... This is a this is a game of chicken that some uh, some people are really really uh, taking advantage of by moving really really early. Hopefully, it works out for them. David, not too long ago, we just had a conversation with Ryan Selkis from Masari. Uh, you know, great 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 folks at Masari. But Ryan was claiming that um, corporate treasuries of publicly traded companies wouldn't buy ether. It was right. just Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Right. And that's like, we're like three months later and they're already buying Ether, yep. right? Like this is something that that we've predicted is mm -hmm. Bitcoin is the gateway to Ether. So mm -hmm. the, the way to front run this Bitcoin buying that Michael Saylor is doing is for publicly traded companies to go buy Ether. Right. I mean, <laughs> um, I think that's going to uh, to catch some steam too. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not sure if it'll happen internationally first or uh, and then later come to the US, but it's, it's starting to happen now mm -hmm. yeah that's exactly right um david why earn v2 they they why earn is sort of a a defi money aggregator in itself yield they launched their yield aggregator they launched their v2 and now it's past it v1 in terms of uh value locked inside of the protocol what does this mean for us yeah, and also interestingly, uh, Yearn V1 also still has plenty of TVL locked up inside of it. So the aggregate is is pretty fantastic. And so you know, there's been some bearishness, I think, with, with Yearn lately due to like government's decisions that people felt unsure about. Um, but then there's also this other side of people that are extremely bullish Yearn in the long term. Uh, and uh, I think we are starting to 
shift from a consensus of like kind of bearishness on urine to like, oh yeah, no, urine is urine is going to be the gold standard for uh, yield aggregation. I don't personally have an opinion on this, but I'm always happy to see uh, TVL and, and DeFi apps go up and to the right. So nice job, urine. Uni is rolling out its grants program. They, they funded 23 community projects this quarter as part of uh, 2021. You know what's crazy about this is the absolutely massive balance sheets mm-hmm. that some of these DeFi protocols have. So uh, Uniswap alone has something like $14 billion in, in Uni tokens in their treasury under management, right? Like $14 Fourteen billion, dude. Billion billion i mean how fast do you have to give money away to grants to like to like get through that and by the way 14 billion but it's in uni tokens right so and growing mm-hmm. like that could easily be 30 billion right in a few in a few weeks you know um it's good that they're 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 doing this but what what's your take on what are these DeFi protocols going to do with these massive treasuries david they're infinite it's going to be infinite funding infinite funding and especially if the Federal Reserve keeps on printing dollars, they actually won't even really need to sell all much of those uni tokens because they're going to go up in U.S. dollar denominated prices faster than they can spend those things. It's going to be crazy. It's literally infinite funding for the rest of time for Uniswap. This is the other reason we keep harping on every single week, usually toward the end of these episodes, that like if you're interested in getting a job in crypto... Like if you can add something to the space, Uniswap go has get a job. fourteen billion dollars for you. You can probably get some of that. <laughs> All you have to do is give something to the protocol that it wants. Right. What does mm-hmm. Uniswap want? Right. I mean, DeFi is definitely much better funded this cycle uh, than any previous cycle. So if you're looking to get involved in the crypto economy, in the DeFi economy specifically, there has never been a better time. Uniswap has infinite cash. As a listener who likes cash, you should understand that Uniswap has an infinite amount of cash. And if you want cash, maybe you should go talk to Uniswap. You know what? I think they're also figuring, I think all of these DAOs with massive treasuries are trying to figure out how to award them back to things that the protocol wants, how to how to manage that process. So um, they're not necessarily going to be able to, to turn it all up now. It's going to take some time, but this this is the uh, the, the spigot. Uh, that that's starting to happen with this grants process, and I think it'll it'll just expand moving forward. Um, David, let's talk about a kind of a hack, a hijacking, maybe is the better word. So Pancake Swap, which is on the Binance Smart Contract chain, and also Cream Finance had a DNS hijacking. Mm-hmm. What happened here? Yeah, so they got their front pages hot swapped with a malicious one. And so this is just another monster in the dark forest that users should be aware of. Uh, And so the cream finance and the the pancake swap front ends, when you went to the website, they would show you a fake page that asked you to input your seed phrase or your private keys. Uh, And naturally, educated bankless users will know to not ever, ever do that. Uh, You don't give up your private keys. That's the number one rule. Uh, and so if you, if, and this can be, this can happen to any DeFi app website. So this is something to uh, take note of. Don't put your private keys into any website ever, ever <laughs> unless you know what you're doing. And don't put it anywhere, anywhere. And if so, if you ever come across a DeFi app and it says like input your private keys, double check, go to the team's discord. Like, you know, make sure you make sure you know what's going on. This is don't also get, don't example. get eaten by the monster. This is also an example, David, of, of crypto does solve this. Like an ENS domain cannot mm. be hijacked in this way. DNS domains can, .coms can, .orgs can, .nets can, but not a .eth address. Uh, so uh, that, that's something that can be improved on too. NFT stuff, 
Google searches for NFTs are booming. David, we showed this in the state of the nation. We should mm -hmm. show it here again. This is interest over time on Google searches. In yellow is ETH. In red is DeFi. In blue is NFTs. Look at this. This looks wow. like escape velocity to me. All this right. is... This is the kind of chart, and by the way, if you can't see this, if you're listening on the podcast, NFTs are probably uh, triple. Right. They're, they're triple ETH, and they're probably quadruple or more 5X or so DeFi in terms of search terms. This is NFTs escaping outside of the crypto bubble that we're living in and reaching mainstream. I think that's what we're seeing here, David. Any thoughts? Yeah, exactly right. And this, my mind just goes back to Andrew Steinwald, who said that NFTs are going to be orders of magnitude more than DeFi. And when he said that back in September of 2020, I was like, oh, no, it won't. <laughs> and it uh, turns out he, he got that one right. Yeah, for sure. Check our episode with Steinwald that came out earlier in this week for uh, for mm -hmm. more info on that. It was a great episode. Um, speaking of NFTs and memes, bad luck, Brian. He sold his <laughs> good luck, Brian. Maybe he just yeah. sold an NFT for thirty six k. This is the 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 famous bad luck Brian meme. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like it's like it's been everywhere. But so early uh, internet the, culture. Did actual bad luck Brian? Because right. anyone could create this, anyone could create this uh, NFT, right. right? But did Bad Luck Brian actually create it and sell it? Yeah, Bad Luck Brian actually did uh, create it and sell it, and that's why it went for thirty-six dollars. And that Brian's thirty-six k, right? Thirty-six thousand dollars. Yeah, Brian's name isn't actually Brian. I think if you scroll down, it's something else. But yeah, the internet just <laughs> named him uh, Brian for some reason. Yeah, his oh. name's Kyle. His name's Kyle. So Kyle, Kyle the guy, Kyle. the guy in the yearbook photo, uh, sold his, his that that meme for thirty six thousand dollars. And again, this goes back to that same comment I made about the uh, Nyan cat that got sold for three hundred ETH. It was the original artist made a brand new GIF that was exactly the same, looked exactly the same, but it was brand new, and he NFT that. And the reason why it went for three hundred ETH was because the original artist had the credibility and the legitimacy to issue the nft and since kyle aka bad luck brian is the actual person in the photo and he owned that photo because that's his yearbook photo he had the legitimacy to mint this nft and sell it and it got sold for 30 36 thousand dollars people think this is crazy but it's not crazy i mean think crazy. of like think of like a the difference between an autograph Mm -hmm. signed by a celebrity a real autograph right. versus a f like a copy of that autograph on a and poster you or probably only have one autograph ever signed ever right mm -hmm. i mean we do this in the physical world uh, all of the time this is just porting that to the digital mm -hmm. world authenticating an nft from a private key is the new autograph the hot take here is that this proves that you can capture the value of a meme with an nft that's what this proves. wow there you go uh, that's what Elon Musk is trying to do. He's trying to sell a song about NFTs as an NFT. What is this? This is so meta. Is oh my God. This, this tweet got uh, almost 230K mm -hmm. likes. Um, right. This is his NFT. I wonder tweet. why NFT on? search terms on Google are skyrocketing above <laughs> and beyond DeFi. I wonder why that happened because the world's richest man uh, tweeted out a, which is a banger of a song. Ryan, can you play that audio? Because it's a banger of a song. Yeah, let me play it here. I, I haven't listened to this before. This is amazing. It's a banger, man. This is actually a good wow. song. <laughs> so, would you buy this, David? For uh, the right absolutely price? Absolutely not. Well, he's not selling it. 
Wow. Okay. That's uh yeah, good song. Definitely worth something. But then he says this right under it. This is probably like a day later. Actually, it doesn't quite feel right to sell this. We'll pass. Yeah, so we got rugged. Trolling us the whole time. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that must have been Crimes that uh made that beat uh for him, his wife. Yeah, nice. And she's definitely in the NFT scene. So yeah, look, sure. it won't be long before he actually sells one. Um mm -hmm. this is interesting. While we're on well, we're on Tesla news. Uh, what's what's Tesla? Are they renaming their executives? Yeah, Elon Musk, again, taking the meme to a full new level. Elon Musk is now, uh, what is his title? Uh, Techno King of Tesla. And then also the CIO, Chief Investment Officer, I think. No, CFO, Chief Financial Officer, is now the Master of Coin, which perhaps is an allusion to Bitcoin. Yeah, that's uh, it's hilarious. I mean, no one understands the meme game like like Elon Musk, at right. least from the traditional world. Uh, he he's really masterful. In fact, some people are arguing that like Tesla, the stock is a meme in and of itself. Which uh, you know, we're in it's a meme bullish. world. Meme it's areas. very bullish. Is what that <laughs> it's is. bullish. That's what David says. <laughs> All right, this is uh, Scott Lewis on the NFTX protocol. He says, check out the power of the NFTX protocol. What are we looking at here, David? Yeah, we are looking at what very much seems similar to an AMM uh, interface. And there is a, an interface here for buying basic crypto punks with ETH, right? And so what's happening here is uh, Scott is going into this. Uh, I, I don't know where, where this is. Um, or this is, this is NFTX, of course, this is the NFTX protocol. And he's putting in uh, 21 Ether to buy a basic crypto punk. And what the point of here is that this is fungibilizing the non-fungible tokens of CryptoPunks, right? And so he's just saying, I don't care what CryptoPunk you give me, give me 21 Ether worth. He's just, he just put 21 Ether into the, into the interface. And then NFTX says, okay, you want to give me 21 Ether? I will give you one CryptoPunk. That's how much one CryptoPunk is worth. So it's actually generating liquidity across these non-fungible tokens, making them more fungible. And this is kind of where uh, I think NFTs can really mark as whether or not they've hit escape velocity or not, is whether they are sufficiently liquid that something like this from NFTX can be established where you can just put in money and say like, don't care what you give me, just give me something uh, and outputs an NFT that is equally valued as the rest of the NFTs in that set. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's like, it's like saying like, I want to buy modern art mm -hmm. and then you just like in a liquid way, you're able mm -hmm. to get modern art. It's, it seems kind of weird that, that we're, um, we're taking non-fungible tokens and, and converting them back and making right. them fungible. But I think the reason is what you said is it's liquidity. We want right. liquidity on these things. We don't just want sort of a, an eBay like bidding auction process. We want insta sales. We want liquidity right. for them. And crypto punks seem really well suited to this. I'm not mm -hmm. sure that other NFTs are as well suited, uh, to this. Yeah. You know, do you have any takes there? Um, yeah, it's, it's NFTs that are combined in sets, I think is probably where they start. I'm sure more financial engineering can expand this out. Um, but the point is, is it's 21 ether, which is a lot of money is only moving the price by 1.6%. That's crazy. Oh, wow. I didn't even that's see that. Crazy. Very cool. Cool yeah. stuff going on in the NFT space, stuff that's not really possible in the traditional world. Yep, um, David, let's talk about this. On the regulatory front, the CFTC, this is the Commodities and Futures Exchange. They're coming after Binance for uh, providing CFTC regulated products to Americans, mm -hmm. particularly. Um, anything, anything going on here? This is a in, a report that investigation is is going on. So not necessarily a mm -hmm. um, any kind of conviction right. or 
but what's what's happening here? Right. So you know, Binance inherently is in a legally gray area and that's why they operate. They are they don't they're not domiciled anywhere. They try as a company to try and exist as only on the internet as possible. Um, and it's because they know that what they're doing is not complementary with nation states. And Binance specifically doesn't do a very very forceful job of making sure US citizens can access Binance. Everyone knows that you can just go to the the non-US version of Binance under a VPN and you won't be asked for your uh, KYC information, which is a big no-no because they are serving customers with financial products that are regulated by U.S. or three-letter organizations. That pisses Uncle Sam off. Uh, and so this is part of the story of whether or Binance can keep itself protected from the nation state. Uh, this is going to be, I think, a, a very long, drawn-out story um, where you know they're not as egregious as BitMEX. They're a little bit more... Uh, a little bit more responsible than BitMEX and they are offshore and so they're protected. They're not domiciled in the US and CZ I don't think even goes to the US anymore. Um, but this is a story of like how close to the sun is Binance flying and are they flying close enough to get caught by US regulators? You know, it's interesting here is like, I, I see some people in crypto kind of cheering the CFTC on and then other people saying like, why are you cheering on a regulator? Right. I thought this was about like free markets and, right. and sort of anti-nation states, uh, anti-regulation. But do you know what? Like all of that is almost not the point, right? right. With DeFi, you, you almost exist extra regulation outside of the regulation. I love... Um, when uh, Uniswap, you know, marks down its its jurisdiction, I saw a list of all of these exchanges, and their jurisdiction is the internet. It's Planet just Earth. code, right? Planet Earth. You can't regulate uh, open source code that just lives inside of a protocol. So, whether you're pro free markets or pro regulation and consumer protection, none of that matters. Um, I think that the the question that that matters is. Is our crypto banks uh, going to be able, with with physical presence in meat space jurisdictions, are they going to be able to exist outside of the nation state law? And the answer to that, David, is probably no. Which brings us to our next point: Binance hires former U.S. senator to help navigate regulations. I wonder why they're doing that. They know that this battle is coming, right? And so they they know that they are doing things that are not aligned with the interests of the nation state. And so they are getting ahead of the issue. That's what that's, that's yeah, what's going on. Absolutely. And it, it's uh, it's all back to kind of like crypto bank plus uh, politics equals kind of the the overlords of our, right. ex, our existing uh, system. So it doesn't, yeah, been there, man. Doesn't make me feel comfortable. Uh, right. let's, let's bring on DeFi. Um, all right. Why recent developments in Canada suggest a Bitcoin ETF is coming soon to the US? That's the headline. Canada is getting some Bitcoin and even Ether ETFs. I, I've heard some people in traditional finance say that, that Canada is like a great testing bed for uh, US um, financial America's products. Hat. So, like, <laughs> there you go. America's attic, America's upstairs, America's hat. Um, and uh, m maybe that's the case here. So, like, if Canada's doing it, and Canadian citizens have access to these products. Like, does that not erode the argument that U.S. Uh, and Americans aren't sophisticated enough to be able to handle a crypto ETF? Well, every single day that there isn't a Bitcoin or Ether ETF uh, starts to be, it moves. That issue moves closer and closer to the realm of a political decision. 
about the value of the US dollar. The Canada doesn't have this disinterest behind listing a Bitcoin ETF because the Canadian dollar is not the global reserve currency of the world. If it was, that would be a different relationship between Canada and Bitcoin. So maybe that's why that's going first. Um, but like, as we know, the Bitcoin ETF is long overdue. And every single day that it isn't delivered is another day that there's a political statement being made that the United States does not have the interests of Bitcoin and instead wants to protect the interests of the dollar. That's interesting because the, the SEC specifically, which would give the stamp of approval on that, they're supposed to protect the interests of the retail investor, right. which is not even in the jurisdiction of U.S. monetary policy. I'm not sure why they're holding up. Maybe it's a good question for, for Hester Pierce, although I know if she could, she would have that approved. Um, David, let's talk about this last news item. Bill Gates is worried about Bitcoin. Why is he worried? Yeah, this thing, this issue just does not seem to leave the Bitcoin news cycle. So we've included it. It's about the climate. Uh, proof of work is climate is economically expensive and economically expensive things ultimately involve in, impacting the climate. Uh, proof of work, as we know, doesn't do good things for the climate. It's extremely resource consumptive and things that are resource consumptive, especially when things are strongly resource consumptive, ultimately impacts global warming and the climate. Uh, and so people that are very climate focused uh, won't like this. And while there are, are very strong arguments about why Bitcoin's energy consumption can in the long term be green, uh, you have to do a really strong job trying to make that argument for the rest of the world, because that argument is usually coming from Bitcoiners who want to see Bitcoin succeed, not from non-Bitcoiners who are still on the edge of things. Non-Bitcoiners who are still on the edge of things are going to see Bitcoin's energy consumption and say that that just doesn't fit in the world that we are trying to create in the future. Um, and so I actually think that Bitcoin, the, the climate change conversation around Bitcoin is actually one of the biggest threats to Bitcoin that Bitcoin has ever faced. I actually think you're right, David. And you, you know the way to completely diffuse this threat? Uh, I, I, have a, I have an idea. Proof of stake, my friend. Proof of stake. So if your engine doesn't consume any carbon whatsoever, any energy whatsoever, yet you can produce a sound money, maybe even an ultrasound money as a result, why do you need proof of stake? That's it's the spicy question. Take. It's a spicy take. We'll get there soon. Uh, let's talk about other takes for the week. We're on the take section, my friends. So here's, uh, oh, here's, here's another take. spicy take. All right, here it is. Now, one of the interesting things about ETH, and I know you guys are kind of ETH is money, ETH store of value. Um, ETH, the, the, the number of addresses with a couple hundred dollars worth of, uh, of ETH is increasing at a faster rate right now, right? So we kind of, we believe that um, ETH is becoming kind of this store of value for the people and Bitcoin is becoming this store of value for institutions. Cool. There it is. Background music and everything. Who is that speaking, David? Yeah, that was Nick from the uh, One Confirmation guys. Uh, Nick and Richard, which we had on the podcast this Monday. What Nick is talking about is he's talking about the number of Ethereum addresses that have over $100 worth of Ether is going up and to the right. And specifically, that number is increasing at a faster rate than Bitcoin. And so we are, the, and if you go on and listen to that podcast, which everyone should listen to, it was, it was a fantastic podcast. Nick talks about how he's seeing more and more individuals use Ether as money inside of Ethereum and, and their own personal finances. And then institutions are using Bitcoin 
as their store value crypto asset, right? And so there's this discrepancy that Nick is describing behind individuals and people. The Ether is money for the individuals and for the people, yet Bitcoin is money for the large-scale institutions, which I think is a pretty interesting uh, dichotomy between what these two assets are trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great take. And I think he's backing all of that up with data. And look, the, the NFT market is one example of that. So the currency for NFTs right now for creators and artists is Ether. It's not and Bitcoin. That is, and their fans. That is a money for the people. So we'll see if that continues. It's super interesting. I do think Ether is also becoming institutionalized. So maybe it can be a little bit of both, but it's nice that it's coming to the people first. Yeah. Like like I've been saying on the Bankless program from day one, money is a bottom up by the people chosen instrument. And so when I see more unique humans choosing the same money, that makes me optimistic. I want to be where the other unique humans are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well said. Ryan, I, this is your take. You want to you hit me with it? Yeah, so I, I tweeted this out. There are three types of people in crypto. The first type is tourists. The second type is mercenaries. And the third type is settlers. So tourists, we see them every bull market, David. And uh, then they go away in the bear markets. They just come Fair and go fans. into this space. Fair weather fans, that's it. Then then we see the, this class of, of people who just do whatever makes the most money, right? So Profit they're mercenaries. Maximalists. Profit maximalists. These are, these are traders. These are um, people who will just don't really care necessarily to to build things and and by the way I don't I don't blame them there's always going to be mercenaries and they definitely play their part and so do the tourists and then there's the settlers and these are the people who are here to actually make up a home here like homestead basically mm -hmm. settle and build new lasting economies the digital land this new infinite white space is their home i think it's just important that that people know that there are all of these different actors inside of the crypto ecosystem with different time horizons the tourists are just here to make a quick buck they don't necessarily understand even what they're buying does number go up or not if it does i'm happy if it's going down i'm out of here i'm back to the traditional system the mercenaries like they're not necessarily here to build something uh, lasting. So these are more short-term game players, not long-term game players. It's the settlers I get most excited about because we, you know, as we say so often here, David, we're really creating this new parallel economy and this new digital land. And so we need people to not only come here, but actually stay and build things here and suffer through the, the, you know, the, the bad weather and the, and the bear markets and, you know, and the pain and everything that that uh, that comes with crypto as well, and we need that in order to build something sustaining. I do think that we're building a little bit of that in uh, in Bankless, and um, you know that's that's those are the communities I most identify with. But it's important for folks to realize there are these three different actors and players inside of crypto. Yeah, this this is a really good take, and I, I would say I would add on to this where like you actually when you come into crypto you progress through these stages, right? You start as a tourist for like oh number goes up, I'm here for the yeah. money, and then <laughs> yeah. you kind of understand that you know this is something real here, and then so then then therefore you stay for the industry. But then there's the final stage where you are here for what I call the political movement or the social revolution, which is people that choose to settle here because it's better here. Uh, and I, this take also reminded me of this part in uh, The Sovereign Individual, which is on the bankless reading list. Everyone should read that book. Uh, and it talked about how um, 
uh, uh, armies back in like the the 14 to 1700s armies would you know would fight each other and there would be the mercenary armies that would be recruited by some king to go and invade the land of some people that lived on the land and while these invading mercenaries could theoretically be more well equipped more funded more powerful the settlers often ended up winning no matter what because they had something to lose that they valued. And so they fought harder with, and they fought with more intent rather than just being a brain-dead mercenary. And, and to me, that is the difference between proof of work and proof of stake, where stakers are the people that live by the protocol, die by, by the protocol. They believe in the protocol. So you are rewarded in proof of stake. You are rewarded with a currency that you think is going to maintain itself for the rest of time. Mercenaries, is there, with, with proof of work, you are just recruiting hash power. And so there is some alignment between like proof of work miners, but at the end of the day, proof of work miners believe in silicon, not in BTC the asset, and they are selling BTC assets. So I think this can be extrapolated into the differences between proof of work and proof of stake. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of important models here, actually, and it's maybe deeper than I even, you know, meant it in the tweet. But like this whole conversion from mercenaries, uh, the mercenaries securing the network to settlers securing the network, that actually happens with mm -hmm. proof of stake. Uh, and uh, we've we've never seen a large scale monetary system secured by settlers. Um, I know we're going to get to that when we get to what you're excited about. Uh, but before we do one last take here, David, this is uh, back to what we were saying about this land of opportunity that is crypto right now and that is DeFi right now. Uh, can you talk about this tweet from from Anthony Sassano? Yeah, this is Anthony. Uh, yeah, tweet from Anthony Susano. He says, "Quitting my quote unquote safe corporate job to join a DeFi, DeFi startup set protocol in mid 2019 was both the best and riskiest decision I've ever made." For those who were around in 2019, you'll know just how fringe and niche DeFi was at the time, and it was in no way a sure thing. And then he finishes up with, "No regrets, smiley face." No one. I've I've never heard of anyone like quit their job and move into DeFi and be like, yeah, fuck, I regret this decision. No <laughs> one regrets coming to work in crypto. So this is your weekly call to arms. Why aren't you finding a job in crypto yet? Since the last time that you listened to the weekly roll up, I told you to get a job, and then the time before that, I also told you to get a job. So we're on three weeks in a row of David saying get a job. Why haven't you gotten a job yet? Have you begun looking? Go, why haven't you moved into the Discord channels? Why not? Why not get a job? Why haven't you quit the, your job yet? Figure out a way to work in DeFi. Your weekly lashing from David Hoffman <laughs> telling you to get a job in crypto, right? So like, there's definitely we were talking about earlier about all of this. There's infinite money here. There's a ton. There's a ton here, and there's a lot we need to build. Like we're just scratching the surface here. It is definitely a, an exciting time. I will say one thing though. He he said it's the best decision, right? But he also said it was the riskiest, hmm. and. There's an element of that too, because I have seen David uh, people come to crypto during the bull run right. with the expectation of this infinite money, good times forever, but not fully equipped to deal with the volatility of the bear market. And, and by the way, like these things happen in fractal cycles. So we're in a bull run right now, but we are going to get a, a, a bear run at some point in time. And like you have to have the the fortitude and the the foundation in place uh, mm -hmm. to persist through that. When everyone else says that crypto is is dead, it's never going to recover, it's never coming back, and like you feel that uh, in your psychology and you feel that that mentally, that can be a, a hard place to be too. Especially mm -hmm. if you have a lot of your own assets in crypto, and uh, they they are dropping. 
um, that like the floor is falling out on those too. So it is also a risky decision in some way. So, you know, I, I don't disagree with any, anything that you're saying here, but, um, there's an element to you that this is more exciting. There's massive upside, but it also, as we always mm -hmm. say, this is also the wild west. It's right. risky. Yeah, everyone needs to calculate their own risk. Like I don't have a wife or kids, right? So I'm a, a pretty lean individual. I can ape into a new industry without thinking about repercussions to anyone. So I don't have to calculate that. But I also got into crypto in February or March of 2018, which is already on the other side of the bull market. And that actually ended up working out for me. I ended up being okay, even though I was very late into getting a job in crypto because the bull market was on the way out, it still ended up working out. And the bull market is nowhere near on the way out. And so you still have plenty of time, but you know, don't sleep on it, get it done. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing about uh, bear runs is, man, they're, they're great for forming communities and, and like making friends, right? And like figuring out your niche in the space. Uh, so there, there's definitely some value there. You just have to have the fortitude to persist through. Yep. David, yeah. we are going to get to what excites you, what I'm excited about too. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this roll up possible. Synthetics is Ethereum's decentralized derivatives liquidity protocol. What does that mean? Synthetics is a platform for creating and trading synthetic assets, which are assets that are priced via an oracle rather than bids or asks. Traders can use the Quenta exchange, which hosts and trades all of the synthetic assets created by Synthetics. Traders on Quenta can trade synthetic tokens like SBTC, SOIL, or SDFI. Because Quenta is powered by Synthetics, traders experience zero slippage on their trades. No, I didn't mean low slippage, I meant no slippage, because that is the power of the Synthetics platform. No slippage on your trades. You can also easily short assets with iSynths, which are synthetic assets that move inversely to their target asset. Synthetics isn't just for traders. Developers can build on Synthetics to access the infinite liquidity offered by synthetic assets, or investors can stake collateral to the protocol and earn fees that the protocol collects. If you're a trader and you're looking for a trading platform not found in the legacy world, check out quenta.io. If you're a developer or you just want to earn yield on your collateral, go to www.synthetics.io where you can stake your SNX or ETH and earn fees from Synthetics. If you want to live a bankless life, you need to get a Monolith DeFi Visa card. Monolith is both a one-two punch of an Ethereum smart contract wallet, as well as an accompanying Visa card that lets you spend the money that you have in your Ethereum wallet wherever Visa is accepted. It's really a fantastic tool that lets you use Ethereum for what it does best, which is holding and managing your financial assets, but also keeps you connected to the rest of the world's payment rails. Monolith also offers on-ramp services for getting your fiat money into the world of DeFi. So it's trivial to top up your Monolith card if ever you need to, and your deposited money goes straight into your non-custodial wallet. So your money is never held by a centralized intermediary because your Monolith wallet is native to Ethereum. Monolith helps you transcend both the legacy and the crypto worlds because the money that you hold in your Monolith wallet has the power of DeFi behind it. Swapping assets on Uniswap or earning yield in DeFi is at your fingertips. But with Monolith, so are the groceries at your grocery store or the coffee at your coffee shop. Go to monolith.xyz to sign up and get your Monolith Visa card today. All right, David, let's get to it. What are you excited about this week, my friend? Oh, I'm just excited about the crypto's best meme ever, which is ETH is ultra sound money. 
pass it on. Tell a friend. Tell your mom. ETH is ultrasound money. <laughs> tell it's your the, mom? It's the new... Yeah. yeah What's mom not? gonna do about that? She's gonna understand wow. that ETH is ultrasound money, Ryan. Well, what... Is, okay, so what is ultrasound money, David? Well, first, maybe we should talk about what sound money is. And sound money is money that holds its value over time. And ultrasound money, theoretically, is one that does an even better job at that. And what could that possibly mean? How could you get even better at holding your value? And Bitcoiners understand this as, uh, you know, in a world of infinite printing where Michael Saylor is printing uh, micro strategy equity to to sell dollars, which are also printed to buy Bitcoin is unprintable, making Bitcoin very sound money. It's a good reservoir of holding monetary value across time. Ether is ultrasound money. And ultrasound money is what you get when you introduce a mechanism into the native money of an economy that makes that native money uh, of the economy scarce as that economy gets bigger and bigger. I'm of course talking about EIP-1559. The magnitude of the Ethereum economy gets relayed into the scarcity of Ether because of burning transaction fees. Also, what's good about ultrasound money is ultrasound money that isn't issued more than it needs to be to secure the economy. And so under proof of stake, as we were talking alluding to earlier, proof of stake needs to issue the least amount of money possible to, to fund security because it's inherently going to ETH bulls who are inherently long Ether and are interested in accumulating as much ETH as possible. And so these bulls will take the lowest amount of new Ether issuance as adequate security for Ethereum. So both we have two mechanism which reduces the issuance of Ether to the lowest possible rate that also still funds adequate security for Ethereum. And then we have another mechanism which makes Ether more scarce as it tracks the size of the Ethereum economy. And then, and what ultrasound money is, when you integrate these two things, which are fantastic mechanisms, you create a shelling point for a unit that can hold its value over time. The, the magic meme power that comes in because of these two uh, mechanisms is the, the thing that makes ETH ultra sound, which is the fact that everyone is going to realize that Ether is going to per persistently grow in value alongside the growth of the Ethereum economy. And people are going to want a piece of that and start to use that as money, making ETH ultra sound money. Stay tuned for the podcast episode dropping on Monday with Justin Drake, ultrasound money. Again, tell your friend, tell your mom, tell your grandma. Now do you understand mom after David explained that whole thing, what <laughs> ultrasound money is? I hope so. If not, um, that look, that podcast that we did, um, people ask sometimes why we talk about ETH so much. And I think it's because we believe ETH is vitally important for the bankless economy. Without ETH at some stage, without a trustless economic security backing the bankless money system, we're not able to go bankless. We also think that Ether is probably the most underrated asset out there in crypto, maybe one of the most important and perhaps certainly the most underrated. And I feel like, David, this ultrasound money episode that we did with Justin Drake, which guys David mentioned, comes out Monday, um, that is almost a culmination of, of a lot of work that we've done, but also a lot of the crypto economic work that Ethereum researchers have done over the past few years. I, I feel like at some level, if all we ever achieved in Bankless was producing that episode, it will have been worth it. That's how strongly I feel about this, this episode. And 
I know you were super excited after we recorded and I was like, oh, that's a great episode. And you're like, it's the best ever. Mm -hmm. uh, I listened to it a second time. And I think that uh, I completely agree with you. It may be the best episode I've ever listened to in crypto. And I don't say that because Bankless is awesome. I say that because Justin Drake is awesome. The analogy he went through to explain Ethereum's economy, its economic security is straight fire. So listen to that episode. Tell your friends we are not overhyping it. Uh, it mm -hmm. comes out when, if you're, if you're a Bankless subscriber, you have it now on the early access feed. Uh, if you're not, wait until Monday and check that episode out. You will not regret it. I think it is the episode to understand Ether the asset um, and also Bitcoin the asset as well. So uh, yes, David, ETH is ultrasound money. You're, you're totally right. Justin Drake is a one-of-a-kind human in the sense that he is a fantastic, bleeding-edge crypto economic researcher that also can communicate, which is not f found often with people that are deep, uh, have deep cryptographic technology knowledge. Like generally those things don't go hand in hand, but Justin Drake, he's both a cryptographic researcher who can communicate and use metaphor as well, but also the fantastic extra large cherry on top is the guy understands memes and <laughs> what the importance of memes are. Yeah. So I was chatting with him on Telegram about like, how do we spell ultrasound money? Is ultrasound one word or two words? Do we hyphen it? Do we not hyphen it? How do we meme this into existence? So not only is he delivering us the metaphor of ultrasound money, but he's also helping us meme it into existence because me money is a meme. It's a shelling point. If everyone understands ether to be ultrasound money, then it becomes ultrasound money. So. Tell your great grandma about it. <laughs> We're going back multiple generations here to, to spread the word. Yeah, absolutely. Great episode, man. Ryan, what are you excited about? You know what, David? Yours was so good. I'm going to leave it at that. I am excited that ETH is becoming ultrasound money. I'm excited about this meme, which brings us to the meme of the week. What are we looking at here? ETH is ultrasound money. <laughs> it's an ultrasound of ETH. <laughs> So this for the, the podcast listeners, what you can't see is literally an image of an ultrasound. And there's a little ETH baby in the ultrasound <laughs> because ETH is ultrasound money. This is amazing. And I'm blown away by the amount of likes it continues to go right. up that this mm -hmm. is getting. So the, the meme is coming into existence. Well done, Justin Drake. We mm -hmm. are becoming ultrasound money. Uh, ETH is becoming ultrasound money. David, I think that's it, man. That was our roll up. Let's wrap it up. Um, last thing, people should give to their Gitcoin grants. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Uh, Gitcoin round nine is still going on. And so if you have not yet download, uh, downloaded, uh, paid money to or donated, it was the word I was originally looking for, donated to your favorite Gitcoin grant, make sure to do so before the time runs out. Again, outsized funding from donators to public goods. This is a special time in Ethereum. We, uh, we, this is when we donate to the things that we use because when we donate a dollar, perhaps they get $10 or $50, sometimes even $100. If you appreciate something in the Ethereum ecosystem, express that appreciation with at least a dollar donation on Gitcoin. Absolutely, guys. And do not forget to fund Ethereum's layer zero, the social layer. Risks and disclaimers, of course, ETH is risky. So is Bitcoin. So is DeFi. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west and you should get a job on the frontier. This is not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot. <laughs>